Hello, everyone, and welcome to Beyond the Surface. My name is Brian Levinson. I created this podcast because I'm very interested in talking to interesting people who are performers. They're everything from CEOs to coaches to athletes to musicians to actors, anyone who considers himself to be a performer and is an expert at their craft. So what we will do is ask questions to dive deep and dig deep into their mindset, into their journey, into their story, what makes them unique, what makes them special, so that hopefully it can help you as you continue on your journey for development and as you go beyond the surface with yourself as well. Today we go beyond the surface with Kellen Coleman. Kellen is an actress who has played roles in shows such as The Newsroom, The Office, The McCarthy's, and she's also been in a bunch of movies as well. Uh, Kellen is someone who I've known since middle school, so hopefully you'll enjoy our banter as we go back and forth and talk about our childhood a bit. But this conversation is really interesting because we get an actress's perspective on what it's like to go in for auditions, what it's like to be on screen and have to be in the moment and be able to capture the mindset that you want in that moment. Kellen really relates back to sports as she's someone who has understood sports from a young age and has thought about sports and how it relates back to her profession. So I think this conversation with Kellen hopefully will resonate with you as you develop your mindset and think about your mindset for whatever it is, because really an actor or an actress is the ultimate performer. They have to go on stage, they have to go on screen, and they have to perform. And they are called performers for a reason. So I think much can be learned, much can be gained from Kellen's story, her journey. Uh, She'll talk about struggles and challenges along the way, uh, but she'll also talk about having a vision and, and having a dream and really understanding that that is the only option. And I think that mindset, that determination is what has helped her to become successful in one of the most cutthroat industries that we know. So I hope you enjoy our conversation as we go beyond the surface. Walk us through what it was like in the Coleman household growing up and what the family was like. I know you have a brother and and interesting family. So tell us about your family. Um, so growing up, my dad is a Grammy-winning bluegrass musician. Uh, he played with a guy named Doc Watson for 15-plus years and then started, you know, later in life was still producing for him and playing on, you know, select dates. Where was he um, from? My dad's from North Carolina. So that's – because the D.C. Yeah. – I mean, growing up, I didn't know a whole lot of bluegrass. Yeah, he's, and he stands out. He's 6'5", long hair, mustache. Like, he was not – he didn't look like our friends' parents, but neither of my parents really, you know, they were kind of their outsider heavy people. Because um, mom's a, um, a Jewish lady from Philly and dad's a Southern boy Christian. They're together, I think it's 41 years now or something, um, which I think is rare in these this day and age, but they were both artists growing up. My mom's mom, uh, my bubby owned a theater company for children. So my mom was doing that. I think Sherman Helmsley, like... Um, Mr. Jefferson from Good Times was in it. And I think Ernest was in it at one point. And so they traveled, um, traveled around from like seven doing theater. Uh, I was supposed to go away to college to do it, but then ran off to be a political rights activist hippie in Berkeley, California. Then some weird thing happened and she was, you know, had to wear a gas mask and all like drama happened. She decided to come back and was like, forget Berkeley. I mean, um, what was it? Emerson for theater. She said, forget it. I'm going to go to Temple and study nursing for the revolution because there's going to be a revolution and because it's around what Vietnam, right? 
And so she got the Human Revolution. She's going to study nursing, help the world. Great mom. Um, and then my dad was the southern boy in North Carolina who heard the Beatles when he was like 13 years old, changed his life like a lot of people. But then he was like, I'm going to do that. And had always played music in the church, I guess. <laughs> my, my pa was a tuba player. <laughs> Not by profession, but he played in like the church band. And um, both his parents, like he lived in a real small town called Maydan, North Carolina, which is so small that you actually say Madison Maydan because Madison's the town next to it. And you just kind of lump them together. Um, it's just so small. I think my dad's graduating class. I just read this actually from his Facebook because he's an open poster. It was, you are dead if you're listening. Uh, it was like 64 people in his graduating class, something uh, crazy. So, they, you know, you knew everyone. And he grew up playing, I guess, in the church. I think he took piano. And I think he was a drummer, a violin player. And then he, like, picked up the, I don't know if it was guitar first, but he ended up being a bass player. So he kind of, um, my grandpa used to, he knew that my dad was good. And even though my grandpa's this like very old school, was this old school Southern guy who worked in Sears, I think. And my granny worked in a mill, like as a mill town. Um, she worked in the yarn mill and he worked in a mill and then Sears, I think. And, you know, very small town people, small town mindset. It's very rare that my dad, because it started with being around these types of people for me, that my dad was this guy who, um, had this bigger dream about playing music. And I don't even know if he actually had that dream or if it was just, just kept happening to him. And so at at each stage he was like, Oh, I can do this. Oh, this is happening. Um, but because my parents had done it in their own ways, like my mom ended up doing uh, TV movies and commercials and stuff after college, she kind of went back to it because my dad had, you know, been on it for 10 or so Grammys and one four and, they both always told me that I could do whatever I wanted. They were like, whatever it is, you can do it. The thing is, they're honest. Did they, yeah, I was going to, that was where I was going to just yeah. jump in. Tell you you can do whatever you want. And I always wanted to perform. But did they tell you, like, you can do whatever you want, like, you can be anything in this world, or you can do whatever you want? Because those are, like, That's we true. believe you can be a movie superstar right. versus follow your passion. Those are separate entities. You know, that's interesting because I was, sometimes I wonder when I, when I started doing stuff, when times get hard because they do and it's, it runs, you know, it hurts your emotional and mental state for sure. Cause the business I'm in is constant rejection and you have to find a way to keep going in that, um, which is very interesting. But I think that I thought about, okay, well, did I get in this because this is really what I wanted or because my parents were both performers at one point in their lives, and I just was like, "Oh, that's what I'm going to do." Did you brother, choose? Did you choose acting, or did acting choose you? I think acting chose me because I thought I was going to be a singer. Um, I would always watch. I mean, from an early age, if you ask my family when I knew I wanted to do this, they say always. Because from an early age, I don't even know if I made the choice. I was constantly watching television and movies because my dad would play at night out. And then my mom was a nurse during uh, the day, but she wouldn't get home until after me. So my brother's supposed to be watching me probably when I got on the phone to be in daycare. And I would just come home and lie and be like, oh, yeah, I finished my homework. And I just watched TV. And it really was my babysitter. I don't know if I'd recommend that to everyone, but I learned so much from watching 
and I would just watch things probably at an early age that I shouldn't have been able to watch, but I was able to in an adult way and learn and kind of, I don't know, I just always wanted to, musicals and all these movies. I wanted to sing because that's what I started doing first. And then as I grew up, we had a very good uh, performing arts program in our schools, as you know. So I started um, acting as well. And I always knew I could act, but never really got, because we had a great teacher in high school right when I got there. He, like Ben uh, Feldman, who's out here too, doing from our high school, doing really well. He's on Superstore. He's a friend, you know, now, but he was a senior when we were in eighth grade. So we never actually went with him. But I've met him over the years and now I'm friends with him. And he had this great teacher, I forget his name, but he left when we came into high school. So we didn't really have a great, I hope our theory actually ended up, I didn't have a relationship, let's say that, with our theater I don't think you have to worry like this. I, I think you're, yeah, you're the first actor and actress that I've spoken to. So I don't think this yeah, is so listed fun. as a theater right, right. podcast yeah, but mental. after you're on it, it you know it's gonna blow up with so many <laughs> I want to be on this show and we might have to reach out to your, right. your teacher and find out why he sucked but yeah no uh, I didn't really like I just didn't our, our program was that good so I didn't really do a lot of the programs and also there's a lot of middle school high school situation where they cast the same person and everything um those teachers don't really like you know they're not trying to like create someone and have them grow you're supposed to be doing that but I found that not to be the case. Did you have, did, so did you have dreams as a kid mm-hmm. of being on Broadway, of being yeah. in a band? Like what, what's the vision or the dream? I think or? it was like, not a pop star. Cause that's not realistic. I knew I was not that type of person and not, I never, I knew I never had a Broadway voice. I mean, now I can change my voice to sound, you know, more Broadway esque cause it's a very specific sound, but my voice was, you know, I have a raspy tone. It was more soulful, bluesy, like, just like me. That's uh, my voice. You know, we've always had these voices, yeah. haven't we? That's I always said when I was in high school, like, I could be in a boy band. Um, <laughs> You're and, the next Joey Fatone. Yeah, Matt Friedson and I. Yeah. We were, we were just together at New Year's, and after a couple of glasses of wine, he did what we used to do. Did just, he start singing and you were harmonizing? Well, we basically, I was the tell me why, and then he would <laughs> sing everything else. Ain't nothing. Yeah. So that's <laughs> the only thing I know is tell me why. And then we would talk, we would sing that to so girls. You guys started oh, yeah. oh no, when was this? That's why neither of us. I never got to sing two things. Uh, Matt actually did sing to me a Matt lot. Matt sang to everybody. Yeah. I don't think I have the voice that I should be singing to anybody, but it is raspy. It is yeah. raspy. Raspy is a really cool yeah. vocal I'm with you. tone. But I think I thought I was, I don't know, some sort of like a, a female singer. I don't know if I actually thought it through that much because I did. I learned instruments and. But I, and I did picture myself being an actor as well. I thought I was going to do both always, but I didn't know which was going to be first. I thought it was going to be music. Did you have the guitar in your hand at a young age? Um, I did, but I never, like, I learned a lot of chords very quickly, very fast. Most people have a problem. Like, they, they're very, what they call muted. Like, they'll learn a chord and it will be like, like, certain notes will sound open and some are don't. And I was very good at it, but I did not have, I've always had a problem with discipline. Um, and... Uh, which is interesting to be actually like, you know, doing well in my field. Uh, Cause I, I've ended up going to what I'm naturally good at. Yeah. I think that's how acting ended up. It was just, it wasn't that I wasn't going to do both. And I still hope to do like, you know, something like Emma Stone's now doing where she's incorporating all of it, dancing, acting, singing, but it's kind of where 
you find what you're actually naturally excelling at and you go with that. And for some reason, like it would be hard to other people, but it's not necessarily, it's not that it's easy. It's just that for me, it doesn't feel like work. So I'm just one of those people that when it does seem very painstaking, I'm not super into it. Doesn't mean I don't want to do it. It just means I have to put a lot more uh, discipline and really focus myself in a way. And as someone with ADD from a very early age. When did you know that you had that? Um, my parents were told in kindergarten wow. that they wanted to test me and put me on meds. And my parents were like, no. They should have. Not put me on meds, but at least tested me. Because I then didn't get tested until junior year of high school. And I think I was getting like a 275 GPA. And then they tested me and I put me on medication. I didn't want to do it. I put, was put on a very low dose. And I like won an award and got a cupcake because I went from a 275 to a 356 or some crazy jump. Most improved. And yeah, and I got a cupcake. And I remember Churchill like sent me like, a, and I was like, oh, cool. And I went down. And then it was a completely different learning experience. I didn't like the way I felt on medication though. It kind of took away my creativity. It would make me sort of zombie-like. More disciplined. Very much more focused, but in a way that I lost my um, personality. Sure. I, but also didn't try many types of medication, which I'm sure there's one that makes you now, especially. But this, uh, the one I was on made me kind of, a, you know. So just, walk us through your decision. To, so you graduated high school. Well, I was in high school. I started modeling because I'm a very tall lady, as we said. I'm 5'10". And... Um, Someone, I guess, worked as an intern that I knew at an agency in Georgetown. And I kind of kept this quiet. I don't know if people know I was doing it. Uh, did you know? Uh-huh. No. Oh, that's cool. So I was told you should be modeling. And um, I was like, okay, yeah, right. But I knew I wanted, like, from an early age, you think, you know, I want to be a performer. And you, it's a little bit, I will say, because now if, if someone says, I want to be famous, I go, well, then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. But when you're little or when I was little, I was like, I want to be a star. You know, that's kind of my version of that. But I knew it's because what I love doing, if you're doing it well to a degree where you're successful, you get to a place of people celebrating your being, of having notoriety. Do you have a memory as a child of like putting on shows for Yes. Your- oh, I would constantly be, I mean, even if no one was there, I was like on my couch, like watching Annie on a VHS like singing the songs or so your brother thought you were like the most annoying person. You talked to my brother, Josh, he, well, yeah, we were so not close. Now we're best friends. Um, he was six years older than me, but he always says he knew that I was going to be doing this as well. My whole family does. Cause I knew, and I was always like, I would be acting, I would be singing, whatever it was. And I would always put on shows and we'd make tapes, but I was also shy. Uh, I don't know if you remember that part. I was kind of shy secretly because I do have an introverted side of me. Um, that not a lot of people believe, but I, from an earlier age, I was kind of shy. And I, I remember like went summer with my aunt and my cousins, like Bill Nye, the science guy came to town and he was auditioning kids for a show. And my cousins who were not really performers, one of them is now, um, graduate NYU grad school for acting. She was, had a reoccurring guest star for seven or eight episodes on the Nick, uh, first shot of. So she's also an actress in New York, but they were not performers when they were little, and I guess I hadn't really gotten into the programs yet, whatever. And we went to audition and I was had such stage fright when I was little that I got up and they were like, okay, sing your song. And I couldn't talk. And so finally they just told me to sing happy birthday. And I sang it. I didn't even like try to 
to sing. I just sang it like I would sing happy birthday, which you know is a different voice. People go, happy birthday. <laughs> They're not like, happy birthday. You know, like singing. That's not very voice. I thought I was, my image was the Marilyn Monroe version. That was what, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what I Yeah, would, that would be great for a little, a little, a little, little creepy, six-year-old. But, yeah. yeah, very creepy. <laughs> um, but I'm glad you're bringing that there. But I remember thinking, I've, I've like, from that early age being like, I've ruined my career. Like, I, I felt like that early. And I went, there's another trip to D.C., and I went there with um, my family, and my brother and I were picked out of the audience to, like, do this Honey, I Whoop the Kids or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids thing where we, like, ride a bee, and we're, like, falling off. And like, no way! And you're reenacting the scene. And I remember I got really, I always had stage fright when I was little. I got over it, um, I guess, in college. And even in high school, I would be crazy on the side of the stage, like, when I was doing this. Anxious? Just, I don't know, is anxious or, I guess, sort of, just nervous. Physically or? Yeah, I would, I'd, uh, fast heartbeat, not able to breathe. I would have to jump around and I would do this. I'd be like, mommy, 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 mommy. But like, I'd do weird things and I'd, I'd just like, no one could talk to me and I'd be jumping around. People like, what is she doing? And then as soon as I got on stage, it all went away. Yeah. Helps you can't really see the audience. Um, but that, that, that idea of the stage, and I'll bring it back to the modeling piece, mm-hmm. was where you felt at home. That's where you felt at peace. When like, I got out there, I felt... I felt very, um, it felt great. It was an adrenaline rush, like no, nothing else when I got off, you know? And the modeling, was it the same so type the, of thing? No. The modeling was like, someone told me I could do it. I went to go do it. Um, they were like, yeah, I was making a lot of money. That's like, was my teen job, I guess. So that's how I prayed for our spring break trip, which we'll go down the books. And so we went, you know, I, I was making money and then I guess spring break senior year, I didn't go to like the beach, whatever everybody did. I went with my mother to New York because we knew what I wanted to do, whatever. And to be a modeling agencies, because we thought, okay, this is our way. Our, I thought she wasn't like a stage mom. It was what I wanted to do because my parents are also very honest. So I'd get off stage and I'd be like, what about this? What about that? And they would be honest with me. They would tell me, my dad's like, oh yeah, you're a little flat here, blah, blah, blah. But he, um, they were both very supportive. But if I, they always say, if you weren't good at this, we wouldn't have have told you to continue to do it. So in some ways, instilled a belief in you because they'd said, we'll drive you to New York. We'll drive you this right. audition. Very but on supportive. the other sense, they weren't going to sugarcoat it and tell no. you, great job, Kellen, when you sucked. Right. But, you know, more than not, they did tell me, great job, Kellen. Because you were good. They, they precursored it with. You know, if you weren't good, we wouldn't lie to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just took that, I guess, as you know. Were there other know. Were there other values that they instilled in you at a young age? Like what what do you what did you see growing up that you've taken with you as an adult? Well, the whole thing with you know the dad that I didn't even really finish that he my grandpa used to I found out later he knew my dad had talent and he used to even though this guy was super you know traditional in every sense of the word and he used to get put on like rent out um this hall and might have my dad's band play there and have these dances for these this small town and that's what everybody there's a story is like everyone has now i see it on my dad's facebook everyone has written him being like i remember those dances that gave us something to do on the weekends instead of like where this is a town where i've seen people just driving around in the kmart parking lot as a kid, I, that's what I saw. Like, there's nothing really to do there. So, I mean, now there's more. But they used to go to these dances. And he would, my grandpa would sell cooks and candies to get money to then pay for the hall for the next weekend. Mm. So it was all just so my dad had somewhere to play. 
that led to my dad going to college and he was getting into theater actually, which I found out later and he was doing tech and stuff. And then he was still playing. He had a band with his buddy, um, who's like half his size, which is, it was hilarious to look at pictures. And then he was out one night playing and then Doc Watson's son, who was also famous and playing with him, his name was Merle Watson, came up to my dad and said, um, you're good. Daddy wants you to come by the house, bring your bass or whatever. And he came up to the house, brought his bass, played. They were like, okay, play something. And they played. And then I think Doc was a very, had a very dry sense of humor. Said something. He's a, a the blind, flat-picking guitarist, like first, flat, you know, famous flat-picking guitarist, kind of created the style. And he said, he'll do. And then he, my dad, left college early, needed like volleyball three credits and started touring the world and the country with them and then never kind of looked back. So knowing that my dad um, had done that, you know, been this, I guess, small boy from a small town, and he was like, people look at him as like the one who got out, the one who got, you know, became something or whatever. It Seeing that was pretty amazing. Seeing, you know, having a father, it was normal to me to see, oh, this is a guy, he's my dad, and he works really hard. And he's not super famous, but he's won awards for being such a great musician and like getting to go to the Grammys and being a it. And, you know, my mom, she's just a normal mom and a nurse now, but she, there's that movie, you know, tiny part she had in that movie. And I guess it never seemed like a crazy thing that I couldn't do. So like, if I could tie that all together, it's work hard. When you have an opportunity, go for it. Yeah. If it means you got to leave school early. Yeah. You go for it. Oh, but not, no, well, they were not into that, though. <laughs> not for you. Well, no, because when I ended up going to New York, uh, went to New York for, to meet those modeling agencies, ended up walking to one where they were like, well, you're too commercial looking, because uh, they were looking What does that even edit- mean? It means basically like I'm good for like a Kmart, you know, paper ad, but oh, not yeah. like editorial. And it's funny because in D.C. I was doing lots of runway. I was the model with, you know, Sophia Yen. Yeah. We had the same agency. And people knew she was doing it because she would, t- I guess, talk about it. I never talked about it. But we would work together a lot. And um, I went up there, and this one person was like, but we have an, um, an entertainment division we just started. By any chance, do you sing or act? And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, that's what I want to do. I'm just doing – I was using modeling to get in the door because it was something that was easy or, or the way that I knew how, right? And so then she, she goes, okay, can, would you mind taking this and, and – doing this, like, doing these sides, which is what we call, like, audition, you know, papers, sides, um, a scene. And so I read, she was like, you can, I mean, you can come back. And I was like, no, no, I'll do it. And I learned it really quick. And then she's like, do you, do you have a song prepared? And I was like, oh, yeah, I can sing. Happy birthday. So, no. Just so I sang, I think I did the, the thing, whatever. I think it was, like, a bubblegum ad or something, like, Wrigley's bubblegum. It's, like, you know, like, one of those. And then, like, things you see in movies. And then another thing, and then I sang respect to Aretha Franklin because I was always into soul and like music that was kind of not uh, normal for me to be into. I guess the musician dad. And besides NSYNC, because I freaking love NSYNC. Or loved. I should use fast dance because I'm an adult now. Um, and they were like, we want to we rep you. I'm just going to, it was the Flutie Brothers. Actually, whoa, take it back to sports. Uh, Flutie Brothers had owned, it was called Flutie Management. And they had owned a uh, talent agency um, that was called something else. And then Flutie Entertainment was the entertainment division. So I was then traveling back and forth in high school without really people knowing on a train to go audition in New York. And then I even stayed up there in the summer to um, right before college. And I guess I was just deciding between um, 
conservatory or regular and I had my dream school. This is a good key. I've always been someone when it's like something I wanted to do, I did it. So when I walked into the Dean Dome at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and I saw Michael Jordan's jersey, because I was a fan when I was little, I said, I will go here. And it was my dad's second home was North Carolina. I was closest to my granny. Um, about in my dream school. So I wanted to go to conservatory, but I guess the idea of, I was never really fully in just theater because I was a cheerleader. I was the um, secretary of the SGA. I was um, in the show choir. I did a bit of everything. So it wasn't just the theater kid and I was friends with everybody. So I didn't want to, I guess I wasn't ready to just be defined in one way yeah. as that. So the idea when I went to Boston University, a program I got into, and sat down with a kid and was like, hey, do you have friends that are outside the theater program? And he was like, honestly, no, I don't. He's like, it's all theater all the time. Theater school's all the way over here. The rest of the campus is all the way over there. It kind of didn't look so appealing to me. And somehow I ended up at Chapel Hill, which I later thought was a big mistake, but then it ended up being exactly where I was supposed to be. Um, oh, my God, I'm having ADD. Where was I? <laughs> No, so, so take us to college. So what's what's the college experience for you? Oh, so yeah, so I ended up going instead of, like, we were kind of seeing what would happen. And I'm sure that if something had come up and I got a show or something, my parents would be like, okay. But because it wasn't, they were like, you, yeah, go to go to college, grow up as a person. You know, I was, there was a lot of ways in which I was still needed to grow up and was immature and late bloomer sense. And they were like, you know, go and this will help your life. And it, for me, it was the right choice because... I really did need to grow up and learn about life and have those experiences that inform you as later an actor. Were there opportunities when you were in college? Yeah. You said, when I, when I mentioned, oh, like your dad left school early. You yeah. Said, no, they weren't having that. So were there opportunities that came through that? They really wanted me to go to that school. And I remember feeling like they picked me going to Chapel Hill, I think, because, I mean, the other option, that, it came down to that in BU, but their conservatory. And I think they didn't, they liked North Carolina was familiar to them. I had family there in case of emergency. I wanted to come out to California. I wanted to, I knew I was going to end up in LA because I wanted to come here and do movies and, you know, TV and all that. And because it was always, always both. I just thought singing would be first because I would sing with my dad at music festivals and I would come up on stage and sing with him at Docker. I would, you know, one year I had my own set even when I was in college. But um, I thought that was going to happen first, but it, it didn't because that's just life happens. Um, and other, my first movie came before my first record or whatever. And now I can't go back. It seems. But, um, I think that they really wanted me to go. I think they, and they really wanted me to go to North Carolina. Um, and there was an option, which was, I think my fault. One of the casting directors who's a big deal in New York called me during my freshman year. and was like, Hey, we're looking for you. We're wondering if, cause I wasn't repped by Flutie anymore cause I went to college and they were, I was too far away, and they, this big casting director was like, hey, we're doing this pilot, we're just wondering if you're available, and I, it's still to this day, I'm like, why did I say that? And I was in this show at school, which I thought was very important, so I kind of was like, oh, no, I'm like in a show, like, I should have been like, yeah, do you guys want me to fly in? Yeah. But idiot me at the time, I was like, oh, I can't, I'm sorry. No, but you were, you were a college student. Yeah, and I was and in the middle of it all. Yeah, you were living. Yeah, and it happened the way it's supposed to, because then I ended up, you know, I guess I was still going for both, but singing was a thing. And I had um, kind of needed to work on my voice. I had an issue there. So I went to this doctor, like, took off a week of school, went to Philly to work with a voice. Um, this guy, he's a, he's a famous Dr. Saddle. He's a famous um, vocal doctor. 
and then in-house he has a, a, a speech therapist and a singing therapist, and you kind of work with the whole team um, to get, you know, pre-surgery or if you have to have surgery or something like that. And so, because I really thought, because I was singing a lot in college as well, doing musicals, um, mostly pop musicals <laughs> or song musicals, and thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And I know, I forget, there was someone that had heard me sing at a, at a festival with my dad and was like, you know, if she ever wants to be, like, do country, like, we know people who did not want to do country music. Um, so I went and did that, and while I was there, I got an email from my drama department being like, hey, there's a lady in town who's auditioning for pilot season in L.A., and she wants to know if there's anyone we think is right or ready for this. She wants me to, they, we, we want to submit them, or for, she wants us to submit people. So I was one of the people that they sent the email to. I was a senior, I guess, or junior I was a junior and I submitted myself I got a call in I went back they gave they sent me sides I went in and auditioned for the lady and right after I finished she was like oh my god you're fabulous I want to manage you and here's this like you know uh woman did you get nerves or butterflies then for those auditions I did but in a normal sense so it wasn't like what you had it wasn't debilitating um I think because by through practice um, and taking class and whatever it is that people are doing, I think, um, you know, if someone has those nerves that I definitely have, and I still have problems with anxiety, um, and I still have nerves, but not to the sense I had them before, working through them by doing show, repetitive shows and, you know, just continuing to repeat the action and kind of put it in practice, I think is a big help for whatever it is that people have nerves with. Would you talk to yourself at all during that process and like yes. talk to yourself? In oh, your... sure. There's all sorts of like, uh, you know, things I did, you know, actually I did, I'm thinking of it now. I did have big nerves when I came here too, because I was walking into a room from, you know, the moment I got here really, I guess they put me into a level of my agents where they weren't trying to get me these tiny one-line roles. They were throwing me in with like guest stars. So I would walk into a room and I would know every I know who every single person as I was going up against, except for me. So I would get crazy nerves. So my um, manager at the time, which ended up being this lady, who I was like, okay, who's this lady living in North Carolina? And then, you know, she was like, I have I'm here because I have an agency in LA and the agency had closed down and then her son wanted to go to North Carolina to Duke. So she moved her family there, then few years later, she's like, I want to, you know, start uh, my business back. So she called friends in LA and was like, do you have anything? I can audition for people so I can find people and help you. So that's where that came from. And uh, she had feedback for me. She sent my tapes to the head of NBC and CBS, who I still now know. One is now casting director and one is still the head of CBS, who's now I've worked for many times. And she sent them my tape and they were like, she's great. She's green, which means like I didn't have a lot of experience yet. Um, and so she said, you know, I wanted to come out here to make kind of the decision after graduation, do I go to New York or LA? And, um, I also had a friend from, um, well, I guess this was senior. I had a friend who had graduated, came out here, a gentleman friend. And I was like, Oh, I want to go visit him. So she says, Oh, if you're going to LA, I will make, set up meetings for you. And I didn't still believe this lady. <laughs> and so then a week later I was here in LA meeting with the head of CBS, head of NBC, both who had said, this girl has something. So we want to meet her and keep her in mind for when she, and they were like, when are you coming out here? And I'm like, lying right after graduation, I'm here, you know, just whatever they needed to hear. They've always been very good people, always been very good at meetings. But when I finally did get out here, 
um, I had these nerves still. So my manager, who was this lady, told me stories about Julie Roberts used to have to go into auditions with her headphones on. And I didn't care if it was true. I was like, that's what I'm doing. So I used to go on auditions and not speak to anyone and put headphones on and pump myself up. Because music is, for me, like, was a big trigger of, you know, I start dancing and making, like, a certain face and get into it. So I would do that. I'd put on pump-me-up music. And there was times where I'd be in the car when I kind of got over having to have it in the room. And I would put it on in the car. And I did, like, little mantras. Like, I would start singing the music and then I start like making up. It sounds so dorky, but I make up a rap, like a, like a self, um, like pump me up. Like I'm the, can I say shit? Say <laughs> I'm the shit. I got this. Like, doesn't matter who anybody else is in the room. And I just start like <laughs> really horribly freestyling. So let me um, jump in. Now yeah, you're, now you're in my world, yeah. which is first of all, music, there's research that shows mm-hmm. that it can be hugely beneficial for yes. getting you ready to perform. Yes. And why I often ask, do you want to listen to pump up music or calm down music? And yeah. As you look back at it, may, it might have been beneficial to listen to music that actually calmed you down, but that's neither here nor there. And then the, the affirmations that you would say to yourself, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, there's a guy named Steve Kerr. Mm-hmm. Steve Kerr played alongside your guy, Michael Jordan, for years yes. in Chicago. Okay. When he first got to Chicago, Steve Kerr was a shooter. He wasn't that athletic, um, but he gets to Chicago and he's alongside Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And Steve Kerr's job was basically when Michael Jordan got double teamed, Jordan's going to pass it to Kerr, and Kerr's job is to just make threes. Wow. And Kerr said he was really self-conscious. Mm-hmm. So he would see Michael Jordan. I would and, be too. Right? Like, he's like, Michael would just go out and just ball out yeah. and play. He's like, but I was, like, really self-conscious. So this is what he used to do. He used to write F-I on his sneakers. Mm. And F-I stood for fuck it. Nice. I've done something like that, too. Yeah. And he would just say... I get the ball, fuck it. I'm going to let it fly. Uh, you know, I miss a shot, fuck it. I'm going to make the next one. Right. And he had FI. And he said there were some times where he'd really get self-conscious and build himself up. And during those times, he would go to the middle of court before the game, and he called it double barrel. He would close his eyes and imagine himself flicking off the entire arena because he was just like, I needed to just say, I don't care yeah. what's going to happen. So your ability to say I'm the shit, yeah. you know. It, well, I did that. I did. I wrote stuff like I remember. I would write down. What did I write down? I mean, that also helps in brands too. I'd be like, and write little things. Where it's like, like basically fuck him or like fuck that guy's not worth it. But like in an anagram or, yeah. um, I would anagram. Yeah, like like first. Yeah, um, I would do stuff like that, and I would also, um basically just throw it all like on the floor you go in and it's like really fuck it just you know if they don't like me go screw yourself i'm gonna go in here i'm gonna do what i do and then later my problem was i could not leave it in the like i couldn't leave it in the room i have the issue of which i'm way better at kind of bringing my work home with me and thinking every audition was going to ruin my life if i didn't get it self-critical very and i've always been that way and i'm still working on that but i do have an ability now instead of going into the room with these headphones on my it's changed it's greatly changed now my calm down is talking to people mm. the complete opposite so now by being myself and being like kind of loud and curious and like being like look how comfortable like i just get comfortable yeah and then i feel completely comfortable to go in the room I, it's so different so i'm gonna i'm gonna just jump in okay, with a couple ahead. thoughts one i have this 
real theory that your mindset when you're preparing is completely different than your mindset for performing. And yeah. that self-critic that you have, you don't want it to be an elephant, but you want it to be a decent-sized animal. I think I leave it, though. I leave it out of the room when I'm performing. Beautiful. But I beforehand, that's why. So my preparing, I have a very, uh, I don't know if I, I guess I worked up to this, but my ability to memorize something is very quick because yeah. it's had to be. So I can memorize like a whole, you know, however many pages for eight pages and like 15 to 30 minutes. And my critic is very strong in when I'm preparing. So it pushes me to like not stop until every word is perfect. Yep. It also doesn't help that I've been in things with Aaron Sorkin who is word perfect. But, um, I try to like be critical when perform when pre- preparing preparation because that makes you get to the place where you're ready to go. But then when I go in the room, you kind of have to leave that person out. And the time that I have brought it in, it has gotten me in trouble because after let's say working on this show called the newsroom, you know, Aaron Sorkin is this writer who is known for, you want to be word perfect to punctuation with him, kind of like Shakespeare. So when after working with him and I do speak fast, but after working with him, I was speaking hyper fast because that's how he likes his stuff. And he would never really criticize me when I'm on because I knew everything. I made sure, like, you don't get on that show without, you know, showing that you can handle the dialogue. Um, but I think I was too sensitive, like, having done it. So I would get these notes, be like, okay, slow down. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know I was going that fast. I don't get them anymore because I slow it. But what you hit on is so valuable for this is to me, like, People don't realize that the mindset for preparing and memorizing and being a bit of a perfectionist, yeah. like, I'm going to make sure this is perfect. Yeah. The issue is that most elite performers mm. struggle with leaving that at the door yeah. and understanding that, no, when I get in the on set or I get on stage or right. I get on the basketball court, now it's time I'm it's just going to – be improvisational, adapt, exactly. creative. And when I haven't, when I'll make like yeah. it, the problem is after that show, I would make a mistake and where, and then I couldn't get out. I couldn't, usually I can, or was able to just go on, find my way back to the lines. It became so critical of myself again, in a way that was current that I would be like, oh, I'm sorry, can I start again? And that's okay. It happens. But in the way in which I was doing it, people were like, no, you should have just kept going. And I should have, and I should, or she should have improvised something. Because you're auditioning. It's a performance. Right. Now. And I'm now able to, I'm now able to like yeah. get rid of that. But it took a, a little bit of a reset because I was then, that got brought, got brought back into the room. And it's very important, like you said, like you're, because I watch like sports and I watch sports players and they do, they like, they prepare, they practice, 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 and they get out there and they can't, it's, you're in the zone because you don't know how this guy's going to pass the ball, where he's going to pass it to. Like they can predict those things by watching the other players, their body movements, but they can't really know how every shot's going to go. Who's going to be guarding them at the time. You know, and they're going to miss. To. They're and they're going to make mistakes. You have to. It's like you, for every, however many auditions I go on, I'm not going to get everything. And I'm going to like walk up and be like, well, that blew. But the next one, I'm going to do great. Last week I went on an audition and pilot seasons are like Super Bowl. It's like our, but it's every day. So there's times they actually calculated. I went on 40 producer sessions and I guess like a month or two, I was going on four a day. And then this actually brings up something that you were talking about because my agent started realizing that I perform better when I'm not thinking. So they would throw me four a day, which is sacrilege. Like you should, how dare you? And so basically by take, by throwing me that many auditions, which would probably debilitate most people, 
I didn't have the opportunity to think about what I was doing. Just learn the lines, have the instincts about the character, and not overanalyze. So I learned each one for a day, and then I'd go in, and I, I think on one time that I went in for a day, I got three test offers for three different projects. And So we're in the middle of Los Angeles, and you're yeah. explaining to me, we're in West Hollywood, mm-hmm. and like... How many actors are within a mile radius oh right God, now, right? In this building. In the, yeah. So, but the mistake that I think most people make is they ingrain themselves in the preparation. And by the way, you have to do that. So I'm not even mm-hmm. knocking the work ethic and the preparation. You have, that's, that's baseline stuff. If I stuff. told you my preparation, which I will after you say this, you're going to be a little surprised, but go ahead. But that's baseline stuff, yeah. right? Like You have to put the work in, right. work on your craft. But everyone does it differently, too. What most people don't do mm-hmm. is prepare to perform. Mm-hmm. So they prepare, like, let's use a basketball player. I'm going to prepare, I'm going to get so many shots up, and I'm just going to keep shooting, or a golfer, I'm going to keep swinging. But they never, they never work on, all right, what's my mindset need to be when I'm over the ball and I've got 150 yards to the hole and, right. and I need to put it within 10 feet. They don't put themselves in that pressure cooker. Yeah. And because of that, they don't practice the mindset for performance. Mm. And so what I find is when I work with athletes, I tell them the same thing. Like great athletes are like, I'm not really thinking when I'm at my best. It's very similar. No, you are thinking you're just, you're just letting it flow though. Right. Um, so you're still thinking, but you're in the moment and you're moment to moment right. rather than consciously spit, you know, it's very moment to moment. Right. So what I always say is like, they're living in the now, they're living it. in the present. Yeah. So there, you need to have preparation. That's just preparation. Yes. But what a lot of people miss is the preparation for performing. Mm. And for you going on all those auditions in a sense is just getting you that into that practice. performance mindset. Yeah. Exactly. And going, that's what they meant when they said I was green. It's I haven't been on these auditions yet. Mm-hmm. And by going on all these auditions, it gets you better and better at the process of auditioning. Like I believe I have ta- uh, booked things from tape, like doing a tape audition where you send it in. I greatly believe that I have booked way more things in the room because there's an ability that I created to go in and perform an audition like be schmooze, do whatever I have to do, you know, like, uh, be the person they want to hire. Not only because, you know, I've been, I've gotten a lot of straight offers at these, you know, at this juncture for guest stars because I've worked with people and they enjoy working with me. What I, what I am like on the set as a person who's about to perform. So they, um, like a teammate, you know, they like me being on the team. So they have offered me other jobs knowing that I can perform. When they, they like what I'm like on the team. Um, it's funny because because pre- preparation for me, I do better. And this is not an, probably an athletes because an athlete's a physicality. Yes, I have to be in physical shape for my job. So that's a preparation. Um, mentally, um, I like to, I have to, I usually prepare the night before. I'm actually trying a new thing now where I do it a little bit. But to get the lines in my head, and that's kind of a self-preservation thing. It's so that I don't stress over one thing so much that it then um, tears me apart because I cared about it so much. I have to learn how to release them, uh, which I'm sure is the same for you have a bad game. You need to release it and move on to the next one. So I call it the reset button. Right. Like when we were kids, you go to the bowling alley and there's that little white button that was a reset button mm-hmm. and like the pins would be all over the place. Right. And you it can't bowl again. Up. You have to hit the reset button. The reset button comes, it takes the, the little frame thing, 
clears out the pins, sure. and now it's like, all right, let's take my second yeah. shot. And with someone who's a sports player, someone who does what I do, it's kind of the long game. It's like each game is going to make you better. And for me, it's like each audition is making better. So, yes, I do learn my lines like maybe the night before or the day before, whatever. But that's one, I'm very easy and quick with it. Um, so I know that's my, in my limitation. And two, it's I can't get too wrapped up in each specific one because, but that might be just specific to my profession. Because if I do, I will care too much and it will destroy me. Because I do get wrapped up and I do now try not to carry it. Like the other day, I went on, it's the beginning of pilot season, it hasn't really even gotten going yet. And I went in on one and I was like, you know what? It's the beginning. I had to tell myself, if I don't uh, get this, who cares? But I'm going to go in and do the best job that I can. I went in and I killed it. They called and they were like, she's pinned, which means they're very interested in me. But because it's so early, they can't be like, here's the test offer. They have to be like, here's a pin in her. We're, we're into her. If something happens, call us. Um, so at least I know I got that. So I was able to drop that one. Um, but you're figuring out I can work smart now. Like, yeah. like I, I have developed a system that works get there. That works for you. Right. And that doesn't mean that's going to work for everyone. No. Julie Roberts needed the headphones right. and that needs to work for her. I needed that and then I didn't need it. But it's purposeful. It's, it's a system and a process. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that could adapt five years from now. Yeah. And what you're talking about to me, like at our age in sports, it's a similar trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. So like, You've now been at this for out here for 10 years or whatever, uh, however long, however old we are now. But like an athlete, it's the same thing. Like when they start to get in their thirties, now you start seeing them. It's like, Oh, I need to get a nap during the day. Um, Yeah. They know what they have to do. Eat certain food. But that's like me. Like I need, like, I know that sometimes I'll be like, Oh, I should have eaten something. Cause I'll be so like, you need that energy or I need to know, I would prefer to know, I don't need to, but I prefer to know how many people are in the room so that I can go, okay, expect there are 10 people in the room so that I get there and there's two people, I'm less nervous. Do you visualize? I, when I was little, so I really do, when I remember taking the plane over to to LA for the first time and I was reading, uh, what's that book, The Secret or something, and I was reading it and I was like, I've always, I've been doing this my entire life because I would always, like I'm the person who watches the, when I was little, watch the Emmys, the Oscars. And I'd be like in my mirror doing my speech. Um, so I think I was visualizing and ex- not expecting, but kind of expecting like, yeah, that's going to be my life. Oh, I'm totally going to do that. I'm going to be on, so I'm going to be in movies. I'm going to know that person. I'm going to date that guy, whatever. That was always kind of how I already thought. So when I read that book or started reading, I was like, this is how I've been living forever. I've always visualized. But from a, from a audition standpoint, like, so you want to know how many people are in the room. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to visualize I see that. How many yourself people? in the room? Yeah. I see like, okay, there's, there's, they said there's five people. There's this person, this person. Cause I've gone into rooms where I thought it was going to be like me and the casting director and casting associate. And I walk in and all the producers are there, are there and it has thrown me really badly because you don't know you're walking into like the final you know, now usually I go on straight to producer, so I don't have to do like the pre-read most of the time. So I expect, or they all write this is these this is a list of people in the room. Um, but if I go in and I'm not prepared to like I haven't seen like I visualize okay, there's two people there. And I go in and there's like 15, which has happened. It can throw me off. Now I'm at a point where it doesn't really, but I can find out right before I'm like how many I ask someone how many people are in the room. I'll ask an actor. I'm like, uh, some people are awful. And they're like, oh, like, I don't know. Or some people are like, oh, there's done. There's seven. Yeah. Thank you. And I kind of see it in my head just so I know that's what I'm working with. Um, so I guess that is a visualization. Yeah, it is. Um, do you do any meditation or anything like that? I've been told I should meditate. By um, who? My therapist. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And just because, you know, it squashes the nerves, it centers you, it helps with anxiety, which I have. Have you tried it? I haven't. Have you done yoga? I have. I'm not a fan, a great fan of yoga. I love Pilates because it's quicker and it's, I mean, I'm talking way faster than I normally do at this moment because I'm trying to get everything in for you, but I'm, you know, I'm not usually this, this fast when I talk. Um, but I do like yoga. The problem I have with yoga is that I just want to go to the next move already. Like I'm ready to go. And I do want to do, I have actually, I did try meditation. I fell asleep. Yeah. So like nothing against your therapist, but I think right now, like the prescription for everybody is meditate. Right. And I think it's a dangerous prescription mm-hmm. whenever we are saying that everybody should do. I think part of your genius is mm-hmm. the energy that you right. have. True. Part of your genius is that your mind does go a million miles. And True. You wouldn't be able to be in the newsroom and I, if I mean, it wasn't. And it's funny because coming to terms with that, realizing that like things that, you know, when you're little, people can tell you are hindrance. Like, oh my God, he talks so much or blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what makes me different from people. And it's yeah. really made me a success. The, ab- the ability to be so quick and witty and think on my feet and always, like, you say something, boom, I'll say, I'll have a response, has um, maybe, you know, when you you're fighting with your parents is not the best thing. No, but, like, but it's great. And, dyslexia, ADHD. Oh, yeah. I a mean, lot of, like, very uh, well-known, I mean, Einstein had ADHD. Yeah. There's, like, a list of people that they're... Um, hindrances were actually what made them so creative or or successful you go back to your kindergarten diagnosis mm-hmm. and imagine if they had said something's wrong with and you Kelly, and they would have said you can't act because of this right. or if they said oh you've got too much anxiety you can't go on and i think those are the moments that really impact our lives because yeah. if we just sort of do what works for everybody else we might miss the genius. Right. And, and if I stayed on that medication or if I was taking that now for going in the room, I would probably be like, it would just not equate, it would not do well. I would be, you know, a monotone zombie. And by I the way, this energy. By the way, I'm not it. saying don't meditate, right. but I'm saying right. try it, see if it's for She's you. She's saying that more for not for like when I work for more of like my personal anxious moments of, you know, Oh God, that breakup or, Oh, this family problem or that like to uh, get more grounded and centered in those. I'm not anti-meditation. No, I think it, but I don't think for my work, it would be yeah. very good. And it's interesting because I don't know if you know this. I did the commencement speech at um, Churchill. I was the first, like, I guess I'm the youngest or first of people like recently graduated that they asked to come back. I was voted on, I guess by <laughs> faculty I can remember when list. we, when I was in student government and we had an astronaut. Were you, at, were you, you were senior class, right? And I was, I don't, I, I was, was nothing by the time I was a senior. Oh, okay. Our, our, our student government pass for mm-hmm. eighth grade. That's oh, yeah. Was, Mr. Keller. Yeah. I was the, see, I was always smart that way though. I knew I wanted to be president, yeah. but I knew that I couldn't win because who was president? I was. You were? I thought you were going to win or something. No way. I was a, I was was a dark horse. No. It was like Jessica Greenbaum. No, I, I, this is, well, like, I this is the highlight much, of my life. I'm pretty really? sure I remember. Eighth grade president. Yeah. That's hilarious. Well, I knew, or no, I wasn't eighth grade. I was school. I was all of Hoover. No, no. It was Hoover. Because oh, you were the Hoover. Because yeah. there's the grades. There's like the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and then there's. The I was school. the big dog. I was the big dog. I was the school secretary. Yeah, Andrew Friedson was our vice president, and another girl were the trainer. But I wasn't um, for eighth grade. I was the entire Hoover they, were because 
Trust me, I remember. Are you sure? Because I thought Evan was. This is, no, you can call Evan. This is the highlight of my life. This okay, is anyway. Brian, I had Ryan Sobolewski be my bodyguard as I walked oh, through the my, halls. No, you didn't. I may be short, but I have tall ideas. Oh, Vote Levinson for president. He I ended mean, up this being is, in the armed forces. That was a good pick. Um, but I was smart because I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to work. Where can I win? Because that's where I'm going to go, and then I'll take over. And yeah, I, I beat like 20 people. That's why yeah. I, it's like... And I ran for every secretary because I knew I could win in that category, and then I fucking came. Oh, 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 I just cursed again. And, we're good. You know, and I don't want to say I took your job. <laughs> I no. So middle school, after middle school, politics for me, uh, the student government, I, I think good. I was treasurer like freshman year, and then, and then I didn't run for anything, and then like senior year, I was like, oh, I'll try. Anyway. Um, he's another interview, you guys. I'm sorry, I can't be here forever. So, um, <laughs> oh, but what was I going to tell you? Um, we were talking about getting in where you knew, uh, that was another psychological thing, but I, I like would go, how do I know I'm going to succeed? Do it that way. Not like, I was a little smart about things like that. So I'm smart about that with my work, but I spoke at the, this is where I was going. I spoke yeah. at the thing and my talk was all about kind of, if I look at it now, like the psychology of it, because I basically said, um, it's not a matter of if, because this was my mentality always. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how. Because I always knew what I was going to do my entire life, and it was never not going to happen. It was just, when is it going to happen, and how am I going to get there? Mm. For my entire life. That's hardcore what I believed. And yes, I have moments of doubt, and I have hard moments, and I have moments I'm like, oh God, why am I doing this? I need to quit. I didn't get that job. Oh, I should be in New York. Whatever. I have those moments still because this is not something if maybe like I go, I doubt that Michael Jordan 100% all the time thought, I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe if, if someone who's a really top performer still didn't have these doubts and these moments. Cause then why would they cry? Like I remember that time when Michael Jordan won and after his dad died, remember he was on the ground with the ball hysterically crying. Yeah. Maybe he's crying about his dad, but I think he's also crying. Like I want, I want now I want when I needed it. And if you didn't have doubt, that probably wouldn't happen um, to me because the great times are even greater because of failures. I mean, he was Michael Jordan. My dad always tell me the story. He didn't make the varsity team, right, when he was in middle school or high school. Sophomore. And then he was like, oh, no, I'm going to do it. So all those things that happened to me when I was younger were like um, – so freshman year I came in and I was the first freshman to ever meet this girl, Danielle Polite, to get a solo in this big uh, rock and roll review thing we call Blast from the Past, which is a big deal in our school. And I was the first, right? So then the teacher apparently went to jail, long story, uh, but he ended up being a pedophile. So he went to jail and we got a new teacher who was awful. And she didn't care what my past had been or whatever and didn't know my work. And she was kind of the person who kind of took it out on people and liked to give, I don't know, she was awful. Um, and she ended up not giving me, like I went from being the first ever, you know, uh, freshman of a solo to, oh, now you're a backup singer. And that didn't really happen. People were never demoted once you reached a level. And I remember it was soul crushing. And I had a hard time with it. But then I went, you know what? Screw her. I'm going to show her. So not only did I do what I was supposed to do really great, but then I was like, okay, and I'm also going to be the MC of the entire show. Del- Dolores and I were like, let's do this. We auditioned to be, you know, with Jeremy and Evan. These kids are grew up with guys. Okay. Um, and so I like took another seat because I was like, well, you took that away. I'm going to take this. I'm going to do this part. And then the next year came and we, uh, we had a different person come back in 
and he saw what the first person saw, and so then I was back on track. Because and I prepared more, I think, for my audition because I wasn't gonna let. And I got two songs, I think, was um, instead of just having one, I got two solos. Um, what a gift that teacher gave you, your sophomore yeah. year. Like it, as you look back, it at sucked, it, but it taught me like humble pie, and then oh, yeah. like rejection. You, you mentioned the word rejection. There's a lot of it here, and you're like in LA, you have to deal with rejection. Sure, and like it would have been. What likely would have happened is you wouldn't have had that rejection in high school. You'd have been streamlined, like you said, and gone forward. But to experience that, you had an option. It's like either I can, you know, feel sorry for myself, or I can say f that. I'm gonna and, sh- and work I'm gonna harder. Sh- yeah, I'm gonna work. Which harder. I did, and that's you know, having the rejection I have now. It seems like there's way too much of it, but having the rejection I have makes me work harder and makes it worth it. And but I did always have that thing of. Um, Imagine if you didn't have, sorry, imagine if you didn't have that. Imagine a life where there wasn't rejection or there wasn't. Well, I think it's important because also when I, when I talk to kids, I've got, you know, visit school, other schools, my college, whatever. And, or people just like, Oh, can you talk to my daughter? She wants to do this, blah, blah, blah. I'm not talking about that kid, but people that come up to me, whatever, where I meet them and say, you know, they, if they say I want to be famous, I say, is there anything else you can imagine doing? And you'd be happy with doing it. And if they say yes, they said, then you should probably do that. Because this shit, I'm going to just be honest, is not for everyone. And it is hard as hell. And if you can picture anything else and having a happy life, you should do this. This is what the only thing that I wanted to do with my entire life. And I knew that from an early age. I, like I said, I was around it. I was good at it. Um, and I excelled in it. So... You know, have you entered a third phase? And the third phase, I would say, is like usually we, when we're kids, we do stuff because it's fun or because yes, it was always fun for me, right? But then the next stage is like skill acquisition and like learning your craft. Mm-hmm. And the third stage, which that's like college and after college, yeah. The third stage to me is like purpose. Like you know, is there yeah? What's oh like, yeah? Because you have to you have to look for that. I feel like if you're doing something that maybe like okay people play sports or I'm an actor. And then, you know, there's this, you come to this point where you're like, I just started out cause I was, it was fun for me yeah. or I was good at it. And then I was interested in it. So I took class in college and really like learned the craft of acting where I always knew I could do it, but never was really given that shot. Then I went and actually put what I'd seen on TV or what I do in my room and like it's my scenes. You should have seen my mirror and like behind my door, there's kiss marks all over because I would do not because I was weird. I was doing, I mean, yeah, it's weird, but I'd be doing scenes with myself and like have, you know, these passionate romantic scenes with like kisses at the end where I'm like professing my love to someone because I was just always my best where my head was. And when I, you know, I went to school and I finally learned how to do it in front of people, which is startling and I had to get eventually get over that fear and then coming out here and having my teacher was Jeffrey Tambor who's the leader of transparent you know he's been in a lot of stuff um people people would know him if they look him up um and it was a master class and it was like okay you know what you're doing you're at your top level what you think it is this is a class now for writers directors producers actors to all work together how do you personally get to the next level of your game and he would really tailor it individually, but we could all work together. So it's very, it was people of all levels. And I learned by like working with them or working with someone, learning them, whatever. But when these people come up to me and they're like, you know, should I do this or blah, blah, blah. I always have to say, if it's the thing that you think about all the time, yes. 
And then you have to think about, okay, why am I doing it? Because that's the passion, right? Right. Uh, passion. So what is the reason I'm doing this? And, you know, because you don't, like, yes, acting or, or, you know, being a performer can be superficial, right? So I've really realized, okay, what is the reason that I actually have always thought this is fun? Not just, you know, getting attention, because that's not enough for me anymore, because I'm this, you know, I'm older, and just being like, look at me, that's not enough. Um, and not just the parties and this, cause it's too hard to just be for those reasons. And the real reason that I realized is all growing up, what was I trying to do? Make people laugh, make people smile. And when I have people, yes, it feels good when someone comes up to you and goes, Oh my God, you were so great. Thank you so much. But the best thing is thank you. Because when I watched, when I was little, I was surrounded by my babysitters. This sounds super sad, but I didn't have a good childhood. But when I'm on TV watching these people, when I'm growing up, I'm learning about human emotion. And I'm watching these people really on screen change my life and how I view the world. Uh, they cause me to feel something, to think about something, to, to ponder life and the questions and smile and laugh and cry and get angry and, you know, see life through other people and their experiences. That's what... I'm like, that's what I, they gave me. And that's what I love about what I do is because I like understanding the human, um, human, what human emotion, motion, human life, human thought pattern, the human experience. And by doing what people who I watched, you know, do, I, I guess I'm sort of having people experience the things that I experienced from when I watched and that is, feels good when people laugh because of you, when people are like, you moved me, whatever it is, without the arts, I believe, or without watching sports for enjoyment or without, you know, the world would be such a boring place. Yeah. Um, you need people that show you life in other ways than you're experiencing it. And you add life to life. Right. The fun of watching a game or the thrill or the... Or the emotions that you can get from laughing at a comedy or watching a sad movie about someone dying and your grandmother just passed away and that helps you cathartically, you know, feel that emotion and get, you know, more um, release from that. It's it's integral to, to life, uh, which gives me the purpose that I feel that I need. Whether people agree with that or not, it's enough for me to want to, besides it also being super fun and me just getting along better with the people that are in this industry. It's like, it's my like minds, you know, it's, um, the passionate, uh, creatives, you know, I get along with a lot of different types of people, but it's, it's interesting when you're in a group, like, why do I like you so much? And then you end up getting, Oh, this is what I learned when I was younger. This is what I said. And you're like, Oh wow. You were very, you're similar minded person. And that can be somebody who's not in the arts at all. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna let's let's finish with this. Sure. I want to just give you a platform. I'm sure you're in something, doing something oh, right God. now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many people are listening to this, but uh, go ahead, plug. Eighty thousand. Yeah. 80, um, Eighty. Well, I've had five movies come out this year. That's most awesome. of them, which are indies. Uh, so you know, tell us about. Great. It. Just sorry. give us the uh, the quick. Okay. There's quick one. Plug. There's one is a big movie. It was um, on Netflix. It's called <laughs> True Memories of an International Assassin with Kevin James is the lead, the guy from King of Queens, and it also has like Kim Coates from Sons of Anarchy and Andy Garcia and some other people. So that's free. There you go. You free one already. If you have, well, most people have Netflix. Um, I had a movie come out two days ago or three days ago called The Night Is Young. Which, Where is that? Um, that's like iTunes, Vimeo, Vudu, uh, Amazon to rent or buy. 
Um, I had one called Better Off Single, also indie on all those streaming places. Um, Flock of Dudes. Uh, these are all like really great people. Like Flock of Dudes is like, um, geez, like Chris D'Elia and uh, Scott, just a lot of people. I don't, it, it would take too long to, and annoying. Um, that one. Then there's the Dirty 30, which is a bunch of really well known YouTube people. That's a Paramount movie. I think that's also streaming. Most of these are streaming. I mean, that's, it's like the new age of everything. Um, did I say them all? 3030, Flock of Dudes, uh, Night is Young, um, Better Off Single, and True Memoirs of an International Assassin. I have a HBO miniseries coming out in February with Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley, Laura Dern, Alexander Scott, Adam Scott, like Zoe Kravitz, a bunch of people. Small part, but I'll be in every episode. And then, um, I just wanted to work with those people. And then, and then, where can we find you on social media? Social media on everything, uh, Twitter and Instagram and, is at Kellen Coleman. Yeah, Kellen is one L, like Helen with a K. And then um, on Snapchat, I'm Sadie Goldberg, <laughs> which is my middle name. I don't even have Snapchat. Know how Snapchat works? Oh, I'm I'm married with kids. I. <laughs> I'm not, and I want it's to over. be. It's, it's over. It's, it's over for me. I've realized, like, no, it's not over. For no, you. but like, the you social... have to learn it so you can teach your children. Because mm, yeah. they're going to then be like, Dad doesn't know how to use it. Like, Bam. I'm not. But, um, but basically, the, the, to sum it all up with yeah. your whole thing you're, that you're, you know, doing here, which I think is really cool, is the whole I think mindset between people who have gotten to their place, their highest level in what they do, or on their way to it. Because I still believe I'm on the way, not there yet, where I want to be. I think it's that knowing that's what they were going to do. I really do. Because I don't think, uh, I think athletes, they know I'm a baseball I'm a baseball player, I'm a basketball player, this is what I'm going to do with my life. It's this undying passion that there's nothing else. And, you know, I also think it's very important, that you haven't said this, for, to know what you're, to know how good you are. Yeah. Because if you, if you have, there's a lot of people, like if you've watched American Idol, so a lot of people have a very skewed idea of how good they actually are. You have to have people in your life, like coaches are that for athletes. And then That's family is so valuable. I, you, I, you can't, people convert. say just do what you love. I'm like, I, you might not be like, good at what? it. Like you might suck. That's just the honest thing. And that's not to say like, you can't work at it. And you don't tell a six year old that per no. se. You don't kill someone get better. younger, but, but if, it's tone, yeah. or if it's a, if it's someone in college or someone in high school, whatever, you go toward the talent. You and and that's the thing is I always say like go after what I said before like if there's anything else you could do, but also know if how good you are yeah. because if you have thank God my family was honest with me because I my brother was a musician but he wasn't like super creative and I think my dad was like okay well, you need to practice nonstop more and my brother wasn't into that so he didn't do it but they were honest so like he wasn't just like oh my God you're so amazing he was like Josh you need a lot of work. Um, so I think it's it, you have to have someone in your life that's honest with you because by knowing your limitations, you'll know how much more you need to study. Because there's some people, I have some actor friends out here, singers or whatever they are, who are wonderful and just haven't gotten their shot. And just, you know, it hasn't happened because it happens in different times for everybody because it's opportunity meets whatever they say. What is it? Opportunity meets preparation. Yeah. But it's also some people are just not being honest with themselves, unfortunately. And there are people who could do something else and be amazing at it. I love it. So I do think that's partly important, part important. Yeah, it's dreaming while being honest. Passionate, you know, visualizing, knowing, uh, preparation, but then also being in tune with what your skill is. Because I knew, I know where my my weaknesses are. I know where I need to study 
I don't think I can ever stop learning. I don't think an athlete will just stop practicing because they're in the NBA or major leagues. I think they have to constantly keep it up. And it's a muscle, no matter if it's a physical muscle you're using, mental, emotional, you have to keep it up because you can't just, you know, if I don't keep myself like, yes, I see a therapist for me, that's how I keep my emotional mental state to where it needs to be to do my job. I have to work out to keep my body prepared, um, which you probably should do more, but you have to keep yourself ready to go for what it is you're doing. And I do think that lately negative things have been getting in my head because of a very hard time, a difference in climate of the industry last pilot season. And I think that I've realized that recently. It's very funny. I'm doing this now because I've realized, Oh, I'm letting that negative banter get in. I'm letting myself hear those things that I used to never, you know, I would hear them after an audition and be like, Oh, I sucked or whatever. But then very, I let myself grieve. I think that's important. Let yourself feel that loss, but then you got to get over it and you got to move on and get back to that place of, of, knowing and and preparation. And I've been letting the bad hang on too long for the past, I'd say year ish. Um, still working, still doing well. Just finished another press uh, bottom. This the Joel McHale show, Great Indoors. I forgot that cause I don't know when it's coming on. Um, but I have realized that and been like, okay, I'm not going to do that. If it comes in, I'm just going to, even if I don't believe it, I'm going to get rid of it because that's not going to behoove me in the, in what I do. I have to just push it out, fake it till I make it. And I think that's important too. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so I just want to thank you for coming on. Sure, I could talk for eight hours. And we can have these conversations and maybe we'll do it again. Sure. Another time because you can also edit the crap out of this. Certain parts are like, we don't need that. I don't, I'm not going to edit. Can. I just, I don't, I'm not an editor. say precursor, gets good later. I'm long form. Like I, it's just not editing. I, We'll see. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much. Of course. You have such a good perspective. So it's amazing for me to just sit back and hear the what I always think are the parallels between uh, the the arts mm-hmm. and sports. Mm-hmm. And to me, there are so many any highly competitive yeah, it's field ju- dealing with judgment. Like it's yeah. all very similar. I wonder if it'd be. It's. I wonder if medical, like being surgeon, like oh burns. yeah, like I you know surgeons, like I military. CEOs. You, I got to hang out with uh, Michael Burns a lot when he was here. Super fun. We'll but, talk about Michael okay. Burns. But anyway, I'm saying like yeah. that field that's very competitive, and I wonder, you know, if for sure, yeah, I wonder. But when it's scholastic, I wonder how similar it is. So that's something I'm I'm get charging you to go and research. I'll go. I'll go talk to him. Good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Kellen for coming on the Beyond the Surface podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation with Kellen. It was interesting. It was different because her background is outside of sports and my world is largely in sports. But there are so many parallels when it comes to sports and acting. And you could hear about, you could hear Kellen sort of referencing the ability to prepare, but also understanding the ability to perform. And I think she talked about the neuroticism or the self critic and the perfectionist in her preparation. But that when she's at her best, she is as far away from that as possible. And she's letting her personality come out and she's just performing. And I think athletes, uh, musicians, CEOs, when they're at their best, they're being authentic and they're really just letting their personality come out in an emotional way, but also in an emotionally controlled way. Um, And I think her experience 
in auditions and in shows like the newsroom where she just had to be on and, and she already had to have the muscle memory. She already had to know the line so well that it was very much a talking performance and it was an engaging performance. It was a fast performance. And I know a lot of times athletes will talk about the difference between practice and the games is purely the speed and everything seems to speed up. Yet when we're in that flow state, when we're in that zone, things tend to slow down. So I think that's a good takeaway for us all is that she was in a show where she had to be fast and quick, but things tend to slow down if you really know what you're doing and you really believe in yourself and you know you're capable of doing that. There's clarity, there's calmness, there is the ability to just be in the moment and perform. And I think that's a big takeaway from from Kellen. The other thing that I thought was really cool with Kellen was that she developed tools, whether it was some sort of visualization, self-talk, the ability to talk to herself when she's actually on the way to an audition and remind herself that she's capable, that she's not just capable, that she's actually great, uh, has helped her tremendously. So I think there are a lot of tools that resonate and relate back, but the big one that I'm going to run with is that mindset for preparation is different than the mindset for performance. And if you can take that with you and understand that, I think it'll be really, really helpful. I find that to be, especially with elite performers who are doing their job often, that they often get stuck in that self-critic and that self-critic can be a dangerous, dangerous enemy when you are trying to perform. So take that with you, run with it, make it yours and figure out what your mindset needs to be when the lights are on. So I appreciate Kellen for coming on the podcast. She was great. She was engaging. She's funny. She's got a terrific personality and she's really good at what she does. So check out her stuff, whether it's on Netflix or on TV. I'm sure you'll be seeing Kellen soon. And I appreciate all of you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to pass it on to a friend or a family member. Uh, I know a lot of my friends back home will enjoy listening to my conversation with Kellen. So hopefully you guys are listening. And I've got a lot of other podcasts that I'm either setting up or I have in the pipeline. So look for those coming out in the coming weeks. And I look forward to talking to you all again real soon.